Hey ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for tuning in to a new episode of the Ambition Podcast. My name is Tristan, I am the host here of the podcast. In this episode, what you guys are going to be listening or watching to is a fantastic conversation I had with a good friend of mine by the name of Maxos. He is someone that I've known in the esports space for a couple of years and so forth. He also runs an esports organization called Affiliate. So we talk about how he got into gaming you know, his journey up to this point in time, as well as just things about the esports industry as a whole, and just have a general chat and everything like that. So, hopefully, you guys do enjoy this episode. And with that being said, let's get to it. What is going on ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tristan, I'm the host here of the Ambition Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in to a new episode of the podcast. In this episode, we've got a really uh, special guest on the podcast, a good friend of mine here in the esports industry, uh, known as Mac Sauce. Introduce yourself, man. Hey, what's going on? My name is Mac, also known as Mac Sauce. I am founder and CEO of Affiliate Esports as well as a number of other positions in this industry, and I am definitely very excited to be a part of this podcast today. I'm very much looking forward to this opportunity. Yeah, again, you know, thank you for, for coming on. And, you know, I know this was kind of like, we, we literally put this together within, like, span of a couple of hours, which is always fun. Um, but for for those that, uh, you know, are, I guess want to, to know uh, about you and... and everything how did how did you get into to gaming and all that so uh myself and my own history goes back quite a long way i'm currently 28 myself my history in this industry goes back to about 14 so quite a while back for most new age yeah. gamers back to the era of Halo 2, uh, the original Call of Duty 4, yep. Modern Warfare, Rainbow Six Vegas, uh, World of Warcraft, Vanilla and Burning Crusades, early Gears of War, um, the original MLG days uh, with Chris Puckett and Sundance <laughs> and Giovanni. The, yeah. the very old days. Uh, and ultimately, myself as a young gamer became entrenched in gaming through the the very original stage of gaming um where it was a kind of bold and brave new world where many of us were entrenched in kind of the there was a, a lot of interest in gaming at that time but halo 2 kind of brought that new aspect with the the bxb and the bxr that's what really brought me into esports as opposed to gaming. Yeah. And that aspect of like, okay, you could call it a cheat or a, uh, a shortcut, but at the same point in time, it was something that required skill. Like you had to pull it off yeah. in quick succession. And like, yeah, you could have an advantage, but it wasn't just like a average Joe advantage. It was a skill advantage. Like you had to train and you had to learn it. And, and that brought a new aspect to a game that I really enjoyed, like the the campaign to Halo, the environment, the ability was great. And then personally, though, a lot of people are like, Halo and Halo 2 purists, Halo 3 really was where I felt was a, a kind of pinnacle of yeah. esports, where you had like the four-shot headshot, 
uh, with a three-shot burst where you had to land all of your headshots. It was like, you know, sniping was incredibly skill-based. Yeah. Um, BR versus BR was incredibly skill-based. If you happen to use a carbine, incredibly skill. Like, the entire game had such a skill cap and it, they never tilted the game towards casual players. They always tilted the game towards esports. And to me, that was like indicative of a good developer and a good game. And that really got me entrenched. And so I competed and went to four MLG events, all the way up to my fifth being MLG DC, which was the original Doritos Combine for Halo Reach, which ended up yeah. being my last event because I just kind of lost interest at Halo Reach. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, at that point, esports just didn't really have any career paths. Yeah, um, that was like 2010, 11, 12. I don't for, I don't remember the year exactly. Yeah, um, <clears throat> there was just no career paths at that point in esports. There wasn't really jobs. There were, like you were either a pro or like you you just happened to like hit a wave and rock it with it, or there was nothing. That was that was the way it was. Like coaches, managers, staff. There was there was just nothing. Like you know, that was yeah. the time where like uh, T squared and Final Boss got like the first gaming house yes. that I had ever known yeah. of in yeah. uh, in Florida. Um, so th there was just nothing. So I ended up going into the like the normalized job market, going through um, like construction work and and. You know the typical job world um yeah. ended up going through adult life uh and then coming back i, I got re-exposed to the gaming world in 2018 ultimately coming back into gaming through seeing that a game that i always loved which was fifa yeah had made a mobile game and uh a movie series that i had always loved which was star trek Yep. also had made a mobile game, Star Trek Fleet Command and uh, FIFA Mobile, um, and kind of got pulled into them, found out both games really had like significant paywalls, and they just weren't ideal. And thankfully, though, through those games, I kind of got entrenched back through mobile gaming because that was the device that I had most accessible yeah. to just move around and play games and, and then from there I got fully immersed back into gaming and pulled in ultimately started working for gaming organizations and just emerging back into my free time yeah. which led to an opportunity through lesser means where we were working for an organization the situation was far less than ideal we had intended to leave and move on back to a more uh, content creation and graphic yeah. design-based business. However, we had one member who asked us specifically, who was our, originally my co-founder for AE, to start a gaming organization. Yeah. And from there, we started our organization, and we've just never looked back. Yeah, definitely. So, when, when did... Uh, APH start was that like I want to say roughly what maybe a couple years ago or something like that August 10th of 2019 okay um, yeah. and though the Twitter handle is currently APH esports yeah um, we go by AE for affiliate esports okay fortunately though we have the full affiliate esports on every other platform on Twitter it's the only platform that there is another organization that has had 
that platform who hasn't posted since 2015. And though Twitter's terms of service says that if there's an old dead account, they remove them. Yeah. And though we've achieved our trademark and we've put in a trademark claim against them, and they say that if you've done that in an old inactive account, they'll remove it, they don't even follow their own terms of service. So we're stuck with a old handle originally made as a temporary handle. And until Twitter abides by its own terms of service, we're kind of stuck with that. But we do go by AE. And uh, yes, to answer your question, it's August 10th of 2019. Okay, cool. Uh, so I guess, you know, like how did you guys start out? And then what, you know, games or uh, focus areas are you guys in right now? So originally we started by... Uh, having this other organization that we were a part of, which we felt didn't really stand for the same kind of morals and objectives that we stood for. So the only reason originally we started our own organization was to be a part of the change that we wanted to see in this industry. And so we originally started... Uh, with Brawl Stars, which was our bread and butter. Um, myself, my peers, my, my co-founders were all in Brawl Stars, either from the global launch, which was at the end of 2018, um, or within the beta uh, ahead of that. And we started collaborating from that kind of original stage of when the game went global from 2018 to 2019. Yeah. Uh, started working with another organization. Like I said, uh, just didn't work out because of differences of opinion and how we were treated with that organization. When we left, we ended up having a, a large section of the Brawl Stars community that we had built with that organization leave with us on top of the fact that Call of Duty Mobile was still in beta at that time and a team and a fair bit of the community left with us and Fortnite mobile so we started entirely differently than a lot of organizations we started entirely on a mobile platform and from then as many people know uh Fortnite mobile completely went nuclear because of uh epic games fight against apple and uh and google play so that game is entirely gone. But we still carry on heavily with Brawl Stars and Call of Duty Mobile, in which we both run pro teams. And since then, we've expanded to Clash of Clans, which unfortunately due to COVID, we lost the opportunity. But within six months, we had, learned, uh, we had earned our first LAN appearance, which was originally intended to be in Katowice, Poland, through Clash of Clans, through the, the World Championship, the first qualifier for it. Um, and then on top of that, currently we cover League of Legends, Wild Rift, yeah. PUBG Mobile, Brawlhalla, and of course Brawl Stars and COD Mobile on mobile. Now on PC we cover Overwatch, Rainbow Six Siege, Counter-Strike, Global Offensive, COD Cold War, Hearthstone, Brawlhalla, Destiny 2, and through Cloud, through Stadia. Yeah. Uh, we cover uh, PUBG on Stadia, Tom Clancy's Division 2, and Destiny 2 with plans for expansion on Stadia, on PC, possible extension to console, though, that would likely be limited, and definitely planning expansion on mobile 
through games like Diablo, Apex Mobile, and any other mobile game that comes out that has any kind of potential to it. Yeah, definitely. So, kind of talk about some of the the earliest challenges that you dealt with as an owner, you know, having to really kind of start, you know, your your first brand, I guess. So, I mean, as an organization, there's a lot of unique challenges in the fact that this industry is not one that's set forward in the way that when you enter the housing market, when you enter the financial market, the business market, there's schooling, there's education that you can have that you can bring forward to those industries and typically have some subset of knowledge to bring forward that gives you a fair bit of understanding as to what you're going to be doing, how to do it, and where you're going. And this industry, uh, through collaboration with folks who are running their own organizations and through our own efforts, it's ultimately become a situation where, for the most part, as you go, you understand that a lot of people don't really come in with specific plans unless they've had long-term experience in this industry. Otherwise, it's typically a learn-as-you-go field. So that is incredibly challenging in and of itself. Any field where you don't really have a direct knowledge set to pull from, a direct set of experience to pull from, or uh, some direct pathway to guide towards it has very specific challenges in the fact that you can't necessarily plan you just have goals and you have plans realistically as what not to do and how not to go about things and outside of that you put forward ideas and goals and push towards them and when they fail you adjust and when they succeed then it's like okay great that was nice it worked the first time but that's pretty rare ultimately mostly it's uh there's not too much information sharing yeah there's not too much um expression of how any kind of contract or business relationship works because it's so proprietary and because by nature this business is competitive yeah so nobody wants to give you any information like even friends that work at other organizations they're either under ndas or they're just like you won't pay me enough money to tell you or they, or they can't. They yeah. might want to, but they just physically can't because they're under a contract or they're under an NDA or they're worried like this little subset of information that we work so hard to, to learn and understand is now proprietary to us. If yeah. we just give it up to other people, even friends, now they can become a competitor that can knock us off. Yeah. So it, it even be, like when you're talking about what was most difficult, like when you're running an organization, when you're trying to build an organization into a business, when you're trying to launch professional teams, when you're trying to maintain professional teams, the most difficult parts 
is it's difficult to have friends, it's difficult to have peers, it's difficult to share information, it's difficult to have faith that what you're doing is correct, because all of those things become competitive and proprietary. And if you share the information, if you have a back and forth, it can be detrimental to yourself or positive to somebody else who can then become better and knock you off, or you end up sharing that information and other people outside of them just happen to learn it by proxy and now you have some other third party who's now learning kind of like your secret sauce or whatever and now they're trying to just oh now we know how they contract teams we know what they're looking to do we know how they okay we can just copy it duplicate it weed out the negative aspects and put in more positive aspects which is exactly what we do So why would somebody else not do the same? So realistically, to answer that question in simple terms, what's difficult about running an organization? Everything. There's nothing. (laughs) It's a constant, like, I've I've always said this, and I'm sure you've seen it when I've tweeted this very often at times. Us as owners, we have probably about one of the most stressful jobs out there because we're typically spending our own money if we don't have investors we're constantly being pressured to to do things within a certain time frame to 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 consistently keep pushing and going higher and higher and like not getting the respect or, or, or not I mean some are just looking for the return of what they put in and then some are just like I just want the respect <laughs> and I typically consider my job 40% firefighter Forty percent janitor, twenty percent leader. <laughs> yeah. That's typically when people ask me what my job is, that's how like it's like twenty percent leadership, and the other eighty percent is either putting out fires or cleaning up messes. Like, yes, that's all, like there's there's a select bit of like actually leading of designing systems and like doing all the things you would typically yeah. consider as like Fortune five hundred business or whatnot. And outside of that, a large amount of the time in this industry is cleaning up messes and putting out fires and just trying to maintain the status quo. Like, just trying to keep things moving forward, keep things moving as they should. And I feel like uh, at Enlight, I forget who exactly it was. Shout out to Enlight. Yeah. Um, One of the, I think it might have been one of the the first two speakers, they said, you know, uh, I kind of took... You know, a little bit of offense to it at the time. Yeah. But after further revision, it was like, I definitely agree with that at this point. He took a question like, what would be your advice for somebody trying to start their own organization? And he was like, don't do it. (laughs) And like, I followed that up with many people and they're like, wow, that sounds like really like, that sounds like garbage advice. And it's like, I mean, if, if. Well, yes. Well, so yes and no, right? Because like, if if I was to do it today, compared to like eight eight years ago when I started Awaken, I would have started a business first, and then out of that launched an esports org, right? Like, you know, the same way in a sense, like what. Uh, well, okay, uh, I feel like Sean Doors kind of did it. You know, very like. You know, he was already a big enough creator on YouTube when, before he made, you know, the Space Station Gaming and all that. But now, like, 
yeah, and he also kind of did the same thing I did with Awaken, where he took Space Station Gaming, but then expanded it to where, you know, Space Station is now a parent company, and then there's, there's, you know, integrations, there's there's remarketing, there's this, there's that, you know, the same way Infinite was, Infinite Esports and Entertainment was a little bit different, because they were more venture capitalists, buy this, buy this, create this, create that. Um, which isn't a bad thing, but, like, if I was to do it today, that's how I would do it, unless, like, like, I know people, and and going back to what you were saying about how, like, people are so pressed to get someone who can give information, give anything, um, like, and and I bring this up because I just had a phone call with someone a couple days ago at the time of recording this, where, they were trying to get into esports, and I was answering all these different questions that they had in in general aspects, and even telling them like, look, if you want to, you know some graphics or something like that, I'm like, I'm sure I've got dozens of Photoshop templates sitting on my computer, and and this and that. There's very few teams where I have given the contract template for Awaken Two, but I always change it up and before I give it to them. Um, and I also know the orgs that have that on hand and like the limits as to which they're supposed to use that. Um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, like for, well, I, I, for me, uh, sorry for cutting you off there. Right. Um, the, the reason I only give out contracts to people is if I know personally behind the scenes that there are contract disputes if there are bad contracts involved. Um, you know, like, I, I'm not going to name names because I'm not going to single anyone out and, and then start the firestorms and, and, you know, firing squads at people. But it's like, it, it, you know, and, you know, some orgs I've worked with where that's happened. Some orgs I've just been, you know, like, you know, watching as time goes on or in networking chats where it's like, hey, does someone have this type of thing? I'm like, yeah, I, I can can help you out there. But it's genuinely like I'm trying to help elevate everyone and kind of get it. It's kind of odd because, like, obviously there needs to be some level of competition, but I, have, I also want everyone to be on the same, like, footing and, and same, like, pedestal at the same time so that you know, we can always build and build each other up because I feel like there is that level still of people who are like, oh, this org wants to work with us? Nah, we're not going to work with you. Oh, there's this company that works? Nah, you know, we're, we're good. But it's like, for instance, our Call of Duty team, you know, we originally were going to pick them up for just us. Uh, but then, you know, my captain's like, one of the players is, is part of this other org. He doesn't want to leave them. And then, you know, we started talks where it's like, well, you know, we're not offering a salary, so let's not loan you guys, because, like, there's nothing to get out of that. Um, but, you know, like, we're co-funding the roster, but it, it's our roster at the end of the day. Um, so I think that those are kind of the the big things that, that I, I feel like a lot of people need to remember is the old school days where people did come together and work with each other and actually try to build up the industry versus like, oh, you're my competitor and I'm going to tear you down. Um, but yeah. See, I, that's, that's exactly what I was getting at is there's like that, that kind of sentiment 
again, I forget who it was at Enlight who said that. It was more of like a, <clears throat> it's kind of like in art, like a uh, like a realism versus progressionism argument. Yeah. Like it's not saying that like that is the whole ball of wax. Like it's like never start your own organization. Like what he elaborated on is like the reason why he says like general consensus is like oh, I want to start an organization. It would be the same way as if, like, I want to start my own software company. I want to start my own financial firm, or I want to start my own hedge fund. Like, the typical answer is don't. Just don't. Like, exactly as you said, like, there's start a business, gain the experience, have some supplemental understanding. Like, you need to have some factors in the first stage to do it it's not like you just wake up one morning and be like i want to start a gaming firm I, you know i want to start like a uh a, a, a a media organization where i'm, I'm yeah. handling content creators like an, an agency i don't like you don't just wake up one day and you're just like oh i like nike's model let me just do it like that's just not that's not the motto for this industry it's it's a it's an industry where Failure is an everyday thing, where yeah. difficulty is par for the course, where everything that you're going to be facing sets you on a path to have, you know, kind of like mental health issues. Like oh, anybody okay, yes. who's successful in this industry has overcome significant mental health issues, well, has yeah. overcome significant deficiencies like you're talking about. Like, you know, there's you, you end up as you go. Yeah, You know, the advice that, you know, to to kind of bring it back, the advice that I wish I had when I first entered the industry is the same advice that we give to our own content creators, pro players, everyone. Like, if you want a future in this industry, whether it's comp player, pro player, content creator, staff member, anyone, networking. Yeah. It, the foundation of your house like networking is the the foundation of everything you live on it's the concrete you pour before you build the house you need to network that's not yeah. like just messaging people on twitter and being like hey can you follow me and be my friend that's not networking yeah it's going around doing work building relationships gaining experience with others gaining relationships and friendships and with people who are like you know they'll they're not co-signing you because you asked them, but because you've worked with them, you've proven yourself, you've done your thing, and they trust you. As well as the fact of having that experience of working with other people where where you don't ask or anything, and somebody mentions your name, and you're like, you know, oh yeah, Taze or Mac or you yeah. know anybody else. Like, yeah, they're solid. I've 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 crossed paths with them. They're yeah. solid guys. Like they'll do. You know, that's that's your your core basis. That's that's the square that starts yeah. the whole process. Then you can build upwards from there. You end up having that 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 core infrastructure of networking yeah. to build off of then you have like okay i i want to do whatever it is again yeah. whether it's 
esports, whether it's content creation, whether it's the business side, whether yeah. it's staffing or whatever. Yeah. You know, if you have that problem, like you're talking about the few people that you have, hey, listen, I'm, we've hit this wall with contracts. We don't have the money for lawyers. I need a favor. Yeah. I just need like the briefest template that you yeah. have. You know, can, can you just, can you help me? So like, just, I, I don't necessarily need what you're doing. I just need to know that what I'm doing is wrong. Yeah. That was something that we faced that nobody would give to us and we ultimately had to pay a lawyer to help us and that's that. and that's unfortunate because i mean like it, it, you know first off the amount of times i've seen lawyers get into esports contracts and then not know what they're doing and they, yeah it's that like, was the same thing like Our, the i've said we got were irrelevant to esports we got like this whole template it, it's like it's like the horror story this, that it, this it, is what yeah. we got from the lawyer, and what we got that was useful was this. And then we yeah. had to fill in all the rest and adapt it ourselves. So, like, you get this big thing, and it looks great, but only this was useful. Yeah, it's like... And then we had to fill it out ourselves. And hopefully it's good enough, and they came back, and they're like, yeah, it's... But even that, you spend money, you do these things. Yeah. You... you... See, but ultimately, you can't yeah. know until you do it. There's See, no guide. Yeah, I mean, like, the way I learned how to do contracts is kind of an or, uh, unorthodox way. What I did was, is I looked at the bad contracts that were out there, and then I said, like, okay, this seems like this is a really good thing, this is a really good thing, this is a really good thing. Don't do this. And then, like, like what, one of the first contracts I started out with was... When the SK Gaming Luminosity CSGO drama happened, when the contracts got kind of revealed out there to the world, I kind of looked through it and I was like, okay, most of these seem like pretty nice and, and stuff. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of things, um, you know, it, it that, that, that was how I did contracts. Um, now I have my own contracts where like, I, you know, the way I also go through doing contracts is kind of awesome because I understand people can't hire a lawyer or an attorney to represent them. So I read contracts. I, I, you know, I read contracts out to people and, you know, I negotiated with them in real time and then I make sure that they understand what they're signing and everything in between so that they know not only am I signing this, but I'm, you know, I'm seeing it and, and you know, I will send it, I will screen share as I'm sending it to them. So that they know that there's nothing shady being snuck in. There's nothing that I didn't agree to, and and you know all this and that, right? Um, so it's you know it's a really good thing I would say. Um, but for me personally, um, just the amount of times I've seen legal issues in esports come through is it's like I can't tell you how many times I've had to step in and fix an org's contract because the people making it were terrible. Um, that's another, not to interrupt you, that's another yeah. thing that we've expressed to a number of players and people, and I'm sure there's a lot of organizations out there who wouldn't be happy with me saying this, but we say this to players and folks all the time, <laughs> yeah. is players, content creators, they somehow don't grasp this. Again, at detriment to many organizations, contracts are not for you ultimately. 
they're for the business. Well, like, yeah. yeah. I, 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 that's not that's not an entire statement, but yeah. like when you're talking about for a lot of I'm not saying this is a single brush to paint. A lot yeah. of contracts out there are are more favored towards organizations than they are right. the people where it's, it's to like rock people in. Right? Where, that's yeah. not, it's, again, it's not an all or nothing, but yeah. a lot of that's what my, my point here is the yeah. the danger of just yeah. signing something because somebody sends yeah. it to you. Uh, of course, it's not an all or nothing, yeah. but a lot of these organizations so, are sending yeah. you contracts that are for them. Yes. That the only thing you're getting is getting like a little bit of pay or whatever. Yeah. If you're not paying attention, then what the organization is doing is taking care of themselves and not taking care well, of you. Yeah. Yeah, and there there's two ways that I've combated this. I've combated it both on a personal level and on the competitive level. If you're a player, if you're a competitive roster, I don't do player buyouts at all. I've always been the person who, you know, especially because of growing in the competitive Call of Duty console scene and stuff, and then, you know, the larger esports, you always see people who are like, this org is holding me hostage, I don't want to be in here, like, someone get me out of my contract, you know, I don't want to, like, you know, I don't have the money to buy myself out of this contract, nor do I want to buy out. So, I've always eliminated player buyouts from my contracts, just because of that. Like, I don't, I don't like it, or anything. Um, we have a stipulation with our, with third-party buyouts, where if someone does buy out uh, their contract, then they get, like, I think it's set at, like, a couple thousand dollars and they get 25% of that because I also tell them I'm like this money will be worth as much as a salary that I cannot give you myself if someone were to buy you out the second thing that I do and it's a universal thing across any person who gets a contract or whatever is that you're allowed to leave the the organization at any time for a reasonable thing other than leaving to go to another organization um, and that's the only thing, you know, if it's like family, school, blah, 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 then great. One of the, the other things I also tell a lot of people is, you know, as someone who's not only an owner, but a content creator, I know what you're looking for as a person. Like I, I'm still a content creator to this day. So I know what that grind is like. I know what that journey is like. I'm here with you. If you need someone to edit your videos, do thumbnails, blah, 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 I'm there. I'll do it. <laughs> you know? Uh, which, which I think, you know, you have to go that extra step to be like, look, y you know, how can I make this as beneficial for you and beneficial for us without one side feeling like one is taking advantage of the other? Um, and, and so that's one of the biggest things that I do. I mean, and I say these things openly because I hope that some organization or some team out there does adapt these ideas and, and you know because I feel like it genuinely helps a lot of people um you will have people that may lie to you um but do. but like you, you know to me as long as you know you have good intentions for why you want to leave or you know a genuine concern about something that's all I care about because that's the biggest way for us to create change and to be better is raising awareness about an issue, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in a group chat and, and everything. Um, See, we've, we've taken a slightly different approach, yes. similar but different. In yes. the fact that we currently 
don't include nor focus nor intend to have any buyouts period okay um it's something that we've completely discluded yeah which if it comes to that point we have a renegotiation clause in our contracts in which yeah. if there was something like that we can we can enter a renegotiation yeah. phase and yeah and have a period like that as well as the same thing as we don't have like a specific you can leave at any point in time but we yeah. do set very specific standards so that every team every player feels that there yeah. are if we don't meet what we've said yeah if we don't meet the terms of our contract yeah the ba- the basic duties, general they thing do, yeah. yeah, they have exits yes. where it's not like, oh, we can just not pay you or not do our thing and still be like, you can't leave. You're beholden to stay here yeah. when we treat you like garbage or don't pay you, which yeah. I've seen in other organizations where they'll be like, yeah, but you're in a contract. We're two months late on pay, but you're in a contract. Like, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. no. That, that yeah. is, in a typical job or any other format, that's criminal. So yeah. You have that. There's no room for that in that yeah. industry, and that's part of what has held this industry back from reaching the levels that yeah. it can. It's just, reaching, I think, it, it, yeah, yeah. It, there's no space for it. But even on top of that, like for us, our goal is to not sign teams or players who don't feel this is their home. Like we, yes. our entire goal is to like when we're like for ourselves when we're signing a team in the first point we don't want to be those kind that kind of organization where we're telling you this great stuff yes and you're like wow this sounds all great and it's like amazing here let me sign and then within six months you're like well this is terrible i want to leave like the goal is whether it's three six twelve fourteen eighteen you know 24 months whatever it is that you're signed for our goal is always to hit half to three quarters and have that team come back to us and say, we want, when, when do we resign? Like that is ultimately our goal as an organization is to have the team come back to us and say, when can we resign? We don't want to be anywhere yeah. else. And like recently we've, we've been blessed with more than one of our teams that we have signed and they've come back to us and said, you know, <clears throat> yeah. We don't want to be anywhere else. This is our family. We feel at yeah. home here. We don't want to go anywhere else. And that just shows, like, to further teams and other groups that could work and partner with us, that, yeah, that that was our goal, and that was what we planned to do. And thus far, we've achieved that goal. We brought on teams, signed teams. We did the initial phase of showing them who we are and what we are, giving them the agreements that we felt that we could not only hold, but we felt they deserved, meeting them and keeping them happy, healthy, and comfortable here to feel this is their family to the point where they come back and say, give us another one. Yeah. We don't want you to come back. Just give us another one. We want to stay. How do we stay here? Like that if you're an organization and you're not signing teams with the goal to say like we want this team we believe in this team we feel this team or creator in that same aspect yeah aligns with our values and we believe in them and we want them to be here for this period and we want to do well enough where they come back and ask us how do we stay here to us in, in, in how we believe, we feel that's a failure because yeah. we don't want to have to come to them and be like, oh, well, yeah, but we still want to keep you and yeah, things didn't go as they planned and blah. When you have the team coming back and saying, this is our home, we don't want to be anywhere else, we yeah. love it here, 
where do we resign? Yeah. And the results and everything. Or, or when you that. have members that stay with you, you know, one year, two year, three year, four years, or even still like remember like like how long has it been since I joined this org, you know, or since I was part of this org, and that's I think that's also something that really makes Awaken special is because we have a group chat. Uh, on Twitter, we we have a Discord, but we don't use Discord that much because you know, say if I'm at work or something, I can't be on Discord, you know, but I can pop in and out on Twitter, and it's like we have members who have been in there who have either moved on from gaming completely or are doing their own separate things, and we let them stay in there because they're family, they're part of our culture, they're they're you know, and I always tell people as someone who who. It, it, you know has a disability on the spectrum that deals with social issues and stuff communication for me is a pain in the ass if I'm not like if you're not in a group chat or in constant communication with me I don't talk to you that much um, <laughs> so you know it, it's a very rough thing uh, even for being someone who's secluded in this 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 room for 20 to 24 hours of the day uh, for you know four to five days a week you know, um, I think going from there, what I want to do is, is, like I mentioned, you know, throughout every episode of a podcast I do, uh, I want to turn the tables to you, let you kind of ask, you know, some questions and as well as some topics uh, that you want to bring up. So the floor is all yours. So I think you brought up a really great point there, which is one that we touch on ourselves. Yeah. I think that you have a great perspective on. <clears throat> Something myself, currently being 28, being involved in this industry on and off, so yeah. I can't say it's like straight, but you know, over 14 years plus yeah. from when I started to currently, one thing that we've always felt currently, futuristically, we don't ever feel that this value will really ever change is that I'll, I'll, I'll make two points and then I'll pose the question. Yeah. Um, the first point is that we feel that, again, myself and a lot of our community, the internet becomes an escape. Yes. Um, 2020 brought this to a lot of people in a way that was like before COVID, many people, it was like, it was very endemic only to to gamers, to nerds, to geeks, whatever terminology you want to use. Like, <laughs> they, yeah. they, like, the people who just, like, spent a large amount of time on the internet were just, like, this little, like, in-the-corner group, and nobody really gave us, like, any cadence or, 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 or voice to really... Yeah. It, it, was a, it was a small niche before COVID yeah. of, like, those who spent a large amount of time on the internet. And it was an escape. For a lot of people like there was um <clears throat> social anxiety mental health family uh life job monetary issues in which a lot of people didn't necessarily like coexist with their irl environment and they found family and coexistence on the internet um like not not to account the people who just come to the internet to like you know part of my language but shit post and just <laughs> troll people on me. yeah you know that 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 sect 
is, yeah. is separate from what I'm talking about. Just like the people who, who come here to take their anger out on other people. That's entirely separate. But there's there was a large amount of people, especially within the gaming community, who came online to connect with folks in a way that they just couldn't. Like, yeah. whether through disability or lack of circumstance or lack of appreciation or, you know, any yeah. number of factors. And we found our home here on the internet. Yes. And then COVID hit, and now it's brought so many more people to this yeah. environment that now it's flooded people where you have, like, again, like we talked about before this podcast, you have, like, the circumstance of, like, old money and new money in yeah. finance. And, like, the difference between what it's like in, the like, the rich person world between old money and new money. You have now this similar dynamic between, like, old heads and new heads in the world of the internet where you have these folks who are like have been around through gaming or through uh like reddit or like 4chan or you know all of this and then you have the new people who are now just like immersed they've they can't leave their house they can't go out and do these kinds of things they can't do like they're into zoom and discord and twitter and all this now they have nothing else to do because they can't go out and go to clubs or do all of this extra stuff they're now investing their time onto the internet it's created this whole new old and new dynamic i guess if i had a question here it's a what do you feel has changed from the new era COVID dynamic? And do you ultimately feel like it's positive for the community or negative to the community in the short run? Not the long run. The yeah. long run, it's obviously positive because people will adapt. But just in the short run. So, you know, what has changed in the new COVID internet era where everyone is on the internet and it's yeah. not just like, our niche market and in the short run you know whether it's like first quarter second quarter of this year the whole yeah. of this year into 2022 who knows yeah but in that era until the world opens back up again everybody is still clustered on the internet yeah again, what's changed and is it positive or negative until people can just go back to the status quo they were at before I think it is a positive for really a couple of different reasons. One, all these people coming in, obviously, is really great. And I think that genuinely, there are a lot of people who are, you know, both endemic, like, sport or non-endemic sports and companies who are getting into the space and understanding what esports is and the communities and not getting into hurt the demographic like what we've seen over the last couple of years with venture capitalists or the LinkedIn era of experts coming into esports which is one of the reasons why I got out of consulting yeah. back in 2018 um you, you the know the spam is unreal well not well, spam is well it wasn't the spam that bothered me cuz i understand that it was the people coming in with these, like, BBAs, these MBAs, these people like my grandparents' age who you feel like they're old enough that you can trust their experience, who would then give really bad advice and chart want, like, hundreds of dollars for a single service. And then, like, someone like me who's been in esports for years and years and years will tell this person, like, you 
haven't done your research on this or you would know this. Like a good example I give is a couple years uh, back in 2018, I went to a friend of mine who ran a consulting agency. Um, he he's no longer in esports at all, um, but you know he had this guy from esports lab as as a consultant to his agency, and and you know I was like, okay, cool. I know esports lab, so I was like I hopefully can trust this guy. I was going, I was asking for some help with some sponsorship stuff. They wanted two hundred dollars, and the best that this guy, you know, again who was you know older than my parents, you know, roughly again my grandparents' age, and seemed successful and everything. The best he he thought of was a glow-in-the-dark eyewear company, like the ones you've seen as on TV. And I said two things over Twitter. I said one, you haven't done your research because you, like our brand is a is a skull in a military uniform. And two, the gaming eyewear space in 2018 was dead. <laughs> so maybe the blue light filter. Where, like, well, well, because like, lenses at that time were just taking off. No, because you have to remember in 2017, 2018 time, no scope, ga- no scope glasses had been shut down. Okay, yeah, that was after. Okay, so that was just after the blue light wear had already. Yeah, so well, it was also that Gunner started getting all these pens and becoming essentially like the Oakley of the gaming eyewear. And then stepped on anyone that was making something similar. It, okay. And so that's what happened with NoScope. And I know this because I was an affiliate with them at the time. And so Gamers Advantage or Gamer Advantage didn't exist. Arazi wasn't making glasses. It was really like Gunner. And then like any of these like lifestyle companies that were making like the normal like glass frames that you see at like markets and stuff. Yeah, like Oakleys with the interchangeable frames or whatever. Well, well, not only that, or like, um, like the current company that we work with, which is Tomahawk Shades, right? Which okay. you know is more lifestyle based, but they do name some of their collections off of like they call it like the War Pig or Warhawk or this or that, and they do market to some gaming you know areas and stuff. So you know, like, but in twenty eighteen. You know, I was like, this is the best you can come up with for $200 was telling me a glow-in-the-dark eyewear company. I forget the name of it, you know, but it was like, I was scared, you know. I was like, thinking in my mind, like, one, they market to kids. We have a military skull logo. This isn't going to work. <laughs> now, there's no kid putting up like, my prescription eyewear. Like, yeah. You know, these are maybe yeah. around that same price. And if I don't yeah. wear these, I don't see correctly. If I'm talking yeah. about glow in the dark or blue, that's that's something. <laughs> like, if, if my prescription eyewear that I need yeah. to see five feet in front of me yeah. costs more than your placebic value... Eyewear, there's yeah. no way that I'm paying for it, let alone that you, at 16 or 15 or 14, you're going to convince your parents, listen, you already bought me a pair of glasses. Buy me these gamer glasses. They're just going yeah. We got you the headset and the Xbox, PlayStation, <laughs> whatever else. Like, get out of here. Like, I, go away. Like, I bought my own pairs of gunners with my own money. 
Um, I did too. The blue light glasses. Well, back in the day, so like, like I bought both my pairs. You, I bought my first pair used off of Amazon because it was the Onyx pair that no, typically costs like so much money, but I got it for like thirty bucks. Then I bought a new pair, and I'll, I'll show you those here. Um, I bought these, like these really nice ones, for twenty five dollars. You know. Right, which I <laughs> like a whole zero short, you know, a whole zero short. So you know, I'm like again going back to the the conversation of this. That was where I started realizing like people don't know what's happening in esports, and I that's why I got out of consulting and why Spark's been doing what it's been doing for the last two years, which is creating its own stuff, which is actually I will say. It's actually a lot more fulfilling to do, and we can make this a whole separate question or or, or topic if you want to. Um, but going back to the original thing, I think as time, I, I think as time you know evolves and stuff, um, you know, will be more respected. You know, like I remember my parents telling me like. Don't focus on gaming stuff. Go like go to college, get your degree. But then my parents actually went on my college trip with me to Robert Morris when I got my esports scholarship, and they were like, "We're you know they were like they were sure trying to convince me to go and stay here in Lincoln, and which I obviously I've done. But even after the campus tour, my parent you know I asked my parents like down you know once we were down the block in the Barnes and Nobles and Starbucks. You know, I was like, so what are you guys feeling now? And they're like, we're like 85% on board. And I was like, yes. It's like, yes, you guys get it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it also, I think what was really sad about not getting to go to Chicago was we were in the middle of the government shutdowns when we took the college trip. And we had three weeks to come up with the amount of money for an entire academic year. And it was not going to happen. Um, which is another problem with a lot of these colleges that are in esports. E They're like the the colleges that you can get into are great, and then it's the tuition that kills it. Um. <laughs> I think that brings a whole other aspect to esports entirely, yeah. which is another. <clears throat> I don't have really much in terms of questions. What I would say is myself being more primarily involved in the mobile side in yeah. recent years, being involved in the PC console side originally, yeah, but now primarily focusing like on the business side and the mobile side, yeah, is from your perspective the exact opposite. We've talked a little yeah. bit in the past of like the transition between mobile and uh, PC console, which I mean. There's plenty of people as like PC or console purists who will get mad at like mobile, combining yeah. the two, but it's not to combine the two. It's saying that like mobile is its own entity. PC and console have been around for way. Yeah, longer. or it's like the people who so, are like PC master race or otherwise. Your opinion doesn't matter. Yeah, it, we're, we're <laughs> saying like the mobile esports, not yeah. the mobile yeah. esports side is its own realm. PC and console. Are are much older and therefore have like a similar mindset and whatnot. Yeah. So it's not to like say they're the same thing or anything. I'm just saying like that is one like that's the yeah. the difference. Like that's the old money. Yeah. Mobile is the new money. It's it's you know the old yeah. and the new. So 
Well, I, fi- I find it... I have the question. Sorry. How has microtransactions affected the PC and console world, in your opinion? Because I've seen it come from where, like, originally in my day, right, there was, like, DLC content, which yes. was very limited. It was, like, yeah. once every six months yeah. at max, a game would release, like, extended map packs or, like, uh, whatever. And it was, yeah. like, DLC for, like, $3 or $5. And you buy the map pack and that's it. It's not, like, microtransactions today. So yeah. So Microtransactions is a heavy factor on the mobile side. I would yeah. be interested to hear how you feel microtransactions in the mobile realm has affected PC console games. So I think... So microtransactions have always been a part of console. You know, like in PC, because I mean, like, you know, CSGO, for instance, has always... I've always considered skins to be basically not gambling, but to be a microtransaction, right? In, in a way. Uh, the same way that CSGO stickers or, you know, whatever else it may be. Call of Duty, for instance, on on PC and console, you know, in the beginning, like, it was always like you have these map packs, you have these camos, right? You know, like, BO2 had a ton of separate camos and stuff, that, but they also took a lot of time to put into those camos and they were custom. Like, one was a bacon camo that the entire gun got wrapped in bacon. There was... Uh, an element 115 from the zombies one that you could equip in, in multiplayer. So there was always stuff that like you really felt like oh this is cool. In Call of Duty Ghost so roughly 2013 though um, you know and, and I, think, I think really since then there's always been this kind of push towards microtransactions right like Ghost did it a little bit differently where you had your own camera where you know you had camos that were being released over time, but then also, like, for me, I thought it was really cool when they had Snoop Dogg and other uh, people doing voice packs, and that was really cool. Like, I felt that added a little bit. Where it really got bad, I think, was Advanced Warfare. So, 2014. November 2014, I think, is where it drastically got bad, because that's where you started seeing all these people buying supply drops and doing these videos, and then you know, essentially it became that gambling aspect in Call of Duty where it's like, oh, you, if you want this variant that is going to be better than the base version of the game, of this gun, and you want this and that and, you know, and everything, you have to, you know, you have to go through the blueprint or you have to buy these bundles and, you know, what's the statistical chance that you get it and everything. I like what Modern War... I like what... um so not to interrupt you, yeah. but your your well, like what I'm anticipating here is that the opinion, the preference is not pay to play, not pay to win, but pay for experience. Well, in skins in in the in the beginning, your experience, but don't change the gameplay. In the beginning, it was pay to experience. Now these days, you know, since you know, over time and. What what's happened over the last couple of years is that the community in Call of Duty on the console and the PC side did you know start cracking down, and especially because I think it was in Bo3 maybe there were actually reports that Vonderhaar and Treyarch were actually against microtransactions themselves, but Treyarch was forcing it, where a lot of people just started not buying it. 
I bought them very rarely in BO4, and I very rarely bought them in Modern Warfare, and I've only bought, like, one or two in this game. Because, the and the way I've always done it is, like, yes, you know, you can make this tracer pack that shoots lasers and, and get a bunch of people to buy it, and they'll make videos. I'm the type of guy, I'm like, look, make that same bundle, but typically these developers, Infinity Ward, Treyarch, they still give out the class setup that's in that bundle. So I will go and I will make that class setup just on my own without the fancy camo and blah, blah, blah. Still make the same video. Because I'm like, I don't need to spend 15, 20, 25, blah, blah, blah amount of money on these. <laughs> you know, like it's a waste of money. Um, you know, if I was solely a content creator and, and I was still in the YouTube partner program and we and a lot of us didn't get kicked get kicked out three years ago then yes i probably still would be buying them but um and i think everyone's got their own personal preference right you know it um depending on the game depending on the console depending on you know do you know do people think that this type of gun you know blueprint or whatever is better than this you know or makes this look nicer or does the you know the tracer packs that you see in in Call of Duty games now have a bigger advantage over the regular versions. Like these are discussions that are always coming up, but they're not as prevalent back in like again Advanced Warfare, where it was like supply drops are gonna get you the best variants, and it you know and you know those are you know they have their own stat features and blah 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 before you add the attachments and this and that. But uh, you know I. For me, I'm kind of torn um, on that. So as the follow-up, as a majoritive answer here. Yes. As a yes or no, and then why? This is my final question. Okay. My final question of the night. Okay. Do you feel that developers? And I'm gonna say this as this is the one wide paintbrush. Yes. We'll say this as a yes or no, rather than specific games. And then I'm, I'm sure you have some final questions yourself. Yeah. I don't want to go too much longer on. Yeah. As a as a majoritative question. Yeah. Overall, PC, console, mobile, anywhere. Yeah. You can say yes or no, and then why. Do you feel that developers inherently care about esports, or do they only care about esports once their profit margin is harmed or becomes negative, and why? That's a tough one, because I'm sure that there are some developers who do. Care. I know it's a tough one. That's why I'm like, because I'm like Activision. Like, I mean, like, well, Activision's more of a publisher compared to a studio, but okay, publisher, developer, studio, interchange okay. the word. But like, yeah, those who produce the yeah. game as like yes. a more. As a as, like, okay. without going into the specifics, like yeah. overall, do you feel that developers, publishers, creators? inherently like just not going into specifics just inherently care about esports as a base value or do they only really care when the general public stops spending money and they feel they have to now invest into esports to continue the game as just without specifics yeah. or anything just as an overall majority paintbrush like paint the whole yeah. industry in one brush. It's, yeah. it's a difficult question for sure. Yeah, but I'm interested. This is one that I'm always interested to hear perspective on. 
I would say yes. If yes, they do care? Yes. I'd say yes that they do care in, in a broad, you know, scope without going into detail on the major specific ones because a lot of them I do think understand that esports brings a, a big level of community involvement. You can rally around these teams that you love watching and content or just love supporting as it is. Um, you know, there's obviously the events, you know, which are are always fun because like you get to meet other people, you get to cheer, you get to boo. You know, I've never been to a Europe COD event. I want to, um, because they're a lot better than NA. I can I can tell you that. <laughs> um, but um, it's sad for NA. Well, L for NA, unfortunately. Well, yeah. I mean, like. I'm not saying that all are bad here in NA, but it's like, you know, if you go watch, like, all the events for Call of Duty pre-franchising for BO4, like, London's was the most hyped up. Like, they, you know, were constantly chanting. They were, you know, cheering. They were booing. They were getting engaged. Like, you had that at some events, like Vegas and Anaheim and some of the other ones, but... Not as much, you know, in franchising, I guess. But going back to what I was saying, I think that based off the community involvement, based off of, yes, maybe some revenue, you know, is tied into that. Um, the the growth that it brings to the game and, the you know, the industry as a whole. I do think that, yes, most developers do care about esports in, in a genuine aspect, you know. I guess also to kind of play devil's advocate to my own point of view there, I do also think that there are some who are inherently esports, money, broadcast, you know, and, and get into it for that sole reason. Um, or don't understand, like, how screwed their rules are. Uh, it be soft, um, but... Well, not to interrupt <laughs> you, there might yeah the, the, the even the further antithesis of that. Do you feel that there are certain again publishers, yes. distributor, like whatever terminology you use, yes. that ultimately, <clears throat> without making it too broad, yeah, become more or less uncaring of how their updates, their meta changes, the way they affect their game actually affect the competitive scene until the point that they start losing money. Like, meaning that, yes, they care about esports. You know, they put forward this, like, personal persona that they care, and they, but meta changes, adaptability of the game, the overall progression of the game are more aimed towards casual and everyday players and not towards the esports. That was really the underlying focus of my yeah, question. Okay, like, yes. In that, if, if you, yeah, yes. Yeah. There are a lot of developers who are like that. Um, I mean, you know, the, the big one after last year that a lot of people point out is Activision. And I'm, I'm just saying that just because... I, you know, I, I'm in that community, so I know that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, a lot of people being like, pubs is great, but all these safe spaces and competitive. And I'm just like, I feel that. Um, you know, or, 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 or all the issues. But, no, I think that 
there are, a, um, I'd say, a majority of independent studios, you know, and some other major ones who have gotten into esports and only care about upgrading or fixing issues when there is a public concern that threatens the public, you know, the public um, perception of the game or the studio. Um, or the sales. You know, like another example I'll give is Ubisoft. I, I kind of muffled them, you know, before you asked. The, the, <laughs> you know, because as someone who does pay attention a little bit to the Rainbow Six scene, like one of the biggest problems that they had that like a lot, I mean, Rainbow Six is already plagued with enough issues as it is with hackers and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not doing a good job of it. But then like the issues that they've had where when they started making these pro leagues, um, you know, as of recently, some orgs would drop their, their rosters well. The problem is with that in Ubisoft's like bylaws for R6 pro league and stuff is that if an org drops you, you no longer hold your spot in the pro league. So, like, United, when they departed, their Rainbow Six team was told, like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll try to find you guys another org, but if we can't find you guys another org, you guys are out of pro league. I'll be honest, though. Based on the way mobile is going, I find that a lot more fair. Where in the same way, if you're a professional sports team and you qualify, yeah, well, they they qualified the team, they, right? But yeah. the team owns the qualification, so you know, in mobile, for the most part, the team captain yes. owns the squad. So if you drop a team captain or a team. As an organization, say you spend 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, $100,000 on a team in mobile, and you drop them for any reason, even after you qualify, the team captain, not yeah. all games, but a lot of games, they get to leave, right? They <laughs> fail, you drop them. You might have dropped all that money. The team captain holds it. They don't treat it like an NHL, an NFL, yeah. an NBA team where it was like, you are part of a team. The team paid and did all that. They earned the spot. So it's a it's an opposite where you say in PC console, yeah, okay, you drop a player or whatever and they're dropped. But that's the same way as like a pro player in any game, right? If you're dropped from the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, the MLB, you're not guaranteed anything. You have to go get a slot in another team. That's the way it goes, right? When you're like, <clears throat> again, this is just my personal opinion. If you want to be paid to play, you yeah. don't own anything. In my opinion, yeah. you're being paid. Yeah, It's the same way where if we go to any job, unless you're a director, a chief officer, or something else, and you sign a contract that says, I own some of my own rights, you're working for somebody else and giving them the right to have the property that you work for for that paycheck. The same way in esports to say that I get to own this thing and people are going to pay me large amounts of money into my pocket, irrelevant of what I do. And that organization or that group only makes money if I do really well. But I can leave at any point in time if they do on the rare chance happen to make money or do well. And I get to leave with all of the rights, all of the points, all of everything else. 
that they can set that as a standard or anything else. Anybody can argue me on this. If you're being paid to play, if you're in a contract, yeah, there is no reason why your points, your qualifications, or anything should be your own. Yeah. If you're if you want to be a free agent and you want to have all of your own rights, you stay a free agent and have all of your own rights, and you become an independent contractor just like a music artist or someone who's a free agent and start your own organization or whatever else. If you want to sign to an org and get a paycheck month to month to month to month, that gives you money no matter what you perform or what you do. Where an organization where 99.9, whether it's FaZe Clan or 100 Thieves or anybody, they're losing money on the esports side. They're making up money on the content creation, on merch sales on the other side, but they're all losing money on the esports side yeah, because it costs tons of money with very little comeback to say the team captain or whoever else owes their spot or deserves something. No, you're not. You're paid yeah. for performance in the same way where if I work for a software company and I develop a piece of code or an entire software, like my father worked for Bose, used to work in research and development to develop technology for them. That contract specifically stated you're being paid more. Yeah. Because anything you do is the property of the company. It's not your property. That's why you're yeah. being paid a guaranteed amount. Who knows what you'll develop? Nobody knows. It could be nothing. It could be something. Yeah. But we're taking a gamble. It's the same way where you gamble on stocks or uh, poker. But like yeah. you don't know. The company doesn't know. We're taking yeah. a choice. We're gambling. We're saying we'll give you this money guaranteed, no questions asked. You'll yeah. be paid this. Win, lose, or draw, you get this money. Yeah. Okay, you're one of those few people who strike gold. Yeah. Yeah, if you're with a shitty organization, they'll say, oh, well, we don't owe you anymore, and we won't negotiate, and we'll just take it. And that's that's not okay. But if you're with a, a reasonable organization like what we're talking about with our own morals, like, okay, you know, somebody just absolutely struck gold and, like, happened to win, like, a million dollars as a team yeah. when they're being paid, like, you know, much less. It's like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll find a deal. But to say a team just ultimately earns their points in a pro league or whatever else while they're under a paid monthly contract which could be a plus or minus for the organization where the organization is gambling for, to me, that's to say you're expecting businesses, organizations, to bet and gamble on something where they're 60, 70, 80, 90% likely to fail. And then if they do happen to strike, they don't even own it. Where the player can leave or take off and they don't even own the points or the yeah. qualification or anything else. Yeah. And that is like, okay, you're, you're facing a like you know 60 plus percent likelihood mm -hmm. of failure with a very slim margin of success and then even yeah. if you do get that margin of success that player or team or group can take off with the success that you want and you only yeah. get the small chunk of it it's like why is anybody going to invest into that what purpose is there for that industry that's a failed business yeah. model yeah so i just don't i don't see that being a part of the progression of this industry teams don't if you want to take a contract from a team, a guaranteed paid monthly contract, you need to understand you're giving up your rights to own points, yeah. the team, whatever else, in the same way you would. It doesn't the, matter right, how much the way I would do it is the way I would do it is the way that Astralis did it in the beginning. 
uh, where Astralis, you know, when they left, they left TSM, became you know a team just called Team Question Mark, became Astralis. But the deal with them being Astralis and getting venture cap, uh, capital in the beginning was all the players are owners, and they all still are owners. Right. right, but you, you can start your own team and have your own interests. Like, yes. That's different than saying, like, I'm going to sign a contract. Like, you can you can go independent. It's the same You're, way you're talking about where name, image, likeness, and, and rights. And well, all. I mean, like, it's the difference between saying, I want to be an independent. Yeah. And I'll take a contract where I'm an independent in the music industry versus signing with a label. When yes. you sign with a label, right, and you, you're signing a label deal and they're giving you front money to build your album and your But then you don't that. own control of the masters and your publishing right, rights. Because, yes. because you're asking for 50000 a 100000 150000 yeah. in front money yeah. like in the music industry value, you're getting something mm-hmm. in return. You have to give something. And on the most part, that's a negative value for them. They're putting out that yeah. money many, many, many times for the one, two, three people who pop off who make them all the money yeah. back. So it's the same thing I'm saying. When you're signing with an organization, when you're working with an organization, then you expect to have the points, the team, the, all of this. When they're yeah. paying you, like, you could fail. You could just fail and fail yeah, and fail like, and fail. They still yeah. owe you that money. They're, they're betting on you succeeding, but that's a rare... Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm going to pay you this in the hopes that you make me money back. Which it's like, but then on the rare chance that they do, then the team is like, "Well, no, we can just leave and we well, or or on on the more common side, most teams will only get twenty percent back, if anything. You know, you mean orgs or teams? Orgs, like orgs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, and even in which is the loss. And even in some cases, I've seen less. Um, as a situation some of war. Well, so Some for instance, like I wanted to sign a Fortnite player in Denmark, uh, you know, not you know, close to seventeen year old kid, right? Or I think he was seventeen, turning eighteen. Uh, he wanted seventy dollars a month. His only placing was within the money was back in December. Before that, it was all the way back in twenty nineteen. Everyone else, even under his placing, got the same amount of money. So if you were, I think he was like two hundred twelve. So even if you were 294, you still got paid the same amount of money. But then he's like, well, Epic takes 30% of my, you know, earnings because of taxes and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, like you as an org want 20 or 25%. I'm just like, dude, that's standard. I'm not going to pay you $70 a month because it's like if it takes me a full year to potentially have one time where I don't make that money back, like that's ridiculous. Um, twenty percent is is an industry standard. Yes, that's what I tell you. Less than that is a blessing. Any more (laughs) than that, unless you're being paid well over the average from your game, is is uh, excessive. Between twenty and twenty-five, unless you have like, unless you're like Hex, who didn't take any prize money but funded the org through sponsorship deals. Yes, but what he's saying is he's not going to take the prize money from them. Yeah. But 
They get no commission of sales when he's selling their jerseys or anything else. He gets full name, image, and likeness rights where he gets to use them in every capacity. Well, and yeah. he's likely taking some other sides. He can say that he didn't yeah. re- he didn't release the full contracts. So I guarantee where he said, I'm not taking any prize yeah. money, there was something. Well, there I from from what I from back. what I know, Bryce Blum is the one that does a lot of these big name orgs contracts like Optic. So I would imagine that they're on the up and up in terms of like how those whole things are right, dealt but with. Even still, they have to pull something. Yeah, which I, that's not a bad thing. That's not. I I would say people there. like Scump, Formal, Crimzix, Clayster in the console competitive pro scene for Call of Duty. They probably have control of their name, image, and likeness because they can get their their own sponsor deals. They have their Twitch pages. They have ownership right, over if their. I'm an organization, and I'm not taking your prize money. Yes. And I'm going to front you a paycheck. What I'm going to say is, when you get independent sponsorships. Yes. Like what I'm likely saying that that Optic does with them, if you get independent sponsorships. You come through us as an agent, and you give us X percent, well, and you bring them in yourself. And then yeah. when we bring you sponsorships, we get the exact opposite percentage. Well, so maybe, actually, that if, if you're in a contract with us, if you get your own independent, yeah. independent sponsorship, yeah. it might be we get 20, you get 80. But if we bring you a sponsorship, we get 80, you get 20. Well, That's the contradiction so... right there. So that's probably yeah. something more in line with what they have. Well, actually, that's been struck down in a lot of courts as of recently, uh, since the Phase Tifu lawsuit last year. Because that's what happened with Phase was that they were doing that with Tifu, and Tifu's lawyer has argued that that actually violate uh, violated at least California's uh, business professions code because Phase Phase Clan and all these other orgs were licensed as esports orgs. But they're not licensed as agencies. They don't have an agency license. Right, but that, so they, that depends on licensing. It depends well, on the state, and it depends yeah. on federal guidelines. Well, each state has their own guidelines, right? So, like Phase Clans was, they weren't licensed as a business, and you know the fair, the the Business Provisions Act has a specific thing in there for entertainers, professionals, ath- I'm sure athletes as well. And, you know, that's how they were dealing with it was they didn't have, you know, they were not licensed, nor was any employee of FaZe Clan licensed as a talent agency. So they were actually trying to void the entire contract because it violated California labor laws and provision codes. They were actually trying to even on a more extreme scale. It was looking most likely, and I think the litigation still going on. But that Phase Clan would have been shut down in the state of California. Right, but that's that's a very that is a to my understanding, and again, I'm not an expert, nor mm-hmm. am I solidifying this. To my understanding of that, to the research that I've done, that is a very specific Cal, California legislation because of the prevalence of actors yeah. within the state and talent agencies and because of the prevalence so there's that that's a very very rare demographic within california and to my understanding again if phase clan had of llc and licensed operation in another state which i believe they're registered out of california the, yeah. they would not have been subject to california law therefore the subjectivity of the well, contract and the law would even, not necessarily be the well, same the, because from, it's home venue 
Well, not just where you reside. It's home venue, especially when you're an independent contractor. Yeah. But it's also it depends if they if they signed him as an employee or an independent. There's a lot, a lot of factors. Yeah. I from the two things I know is that I. It, for, and it's been a while since I looked at contract and then the provisions code in California. Um, from what I remember, it's that even if, like, first off, even if you're not licensed as a business, it, you know, it, if you're li- licensed as a business in another state, but still conducting operations in California, you still have to follow those those laws. Conducting operations is different, though, than independent contracting. Well, as, mm-hmm. as a... Like, anybody can independent contract from anywhere. Most of their members are in California, so that could be separate. They could, they could, like, somebody could file and say, well, they have a house which is operating as a business. The, well, so they, have a, they, have a, they have a house, they have a corporate office, they Correct. have all these. But so, then, like, for instance, when FaZe Clan was doing the litigation, they're like, well, no, our contract say arbitration has to go through New York. Which is how they right. supposedly have tried to skirt against the provisions code. Again, I don't but know that, this. I'm not yeah, a lawyer, that, but that's that, very, very tricky grounds. Exactly. Yeah. Like not and, neither yeah. of us really know. We speculate. <laughs> yeah. And prognosticate as to what. But yeah, this this yeah. exactly shows. Like esports is just like not developed enough to actually. Um, it, it just like esports is not equipped to deal with these situations. Yeah, it, it goes back <laughs> to the very beginning. Of showing like you can literally spend all your time studying. You can talk with lawyers. You can talk with anybody, and literally yeah. you can reach that point where like I know this little microscopic yeah. area. I know what I know, but outside of that, all I could do is speculate and talk yeah. about my ideas and pot. You 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 can you can do hundreds and thousands of hours of investigation of research and everything else right it does you don't know until there's president in the courtroom you you don't know until ultimately until you hit that wall at 100 miles an hour and blow the car into oblivion and you're like well i guess i don't know what i was doing like (laughs) yeah you don't know until you know that you don't yeah it's it's, yeah that's this that's the long and short of this entire podcast <laughs> you don't know until you know that yeah. you don't know. Yeah. That's, so, that's really the way it is. Yeah. So, um, going, you know, now now turning the tables back the way it originally started. So, it, let's say if you hadn't created an esports organization it, but still wanted to be in esports, what would you do? Would you create a business? Would you be kind of a, a consultant? Would you start your own agency? Like, what would you do? So we had planned in in very short terminology. I know we both got to dip shortly. So uh, <laughs> yeah, in very short terminology, we had planned a a graphics and creative agency. Okay. As a middle management and third party group. Okay. Um, multiple of ourselves are graphic designers, content creators. So it's 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 first hand, second hand, third hand, all conjunctive. Yeah. Um, and we still plan, we, we're still building currently a yeah. subsequent business to work on this yeah. at the same time. Um, but that's, we, we still plan to remain in this industry, but yeah. more of a middle ground background yeah. element. 
However, just based on circumstance, we ended up staying in a foreground element and are using that foreground element to create precedence to launch middle ground and background all in one to create kind of, uh, as we describe it as us growing up as kind of uh, uh, Zoomers, as like the Rob Dyrdek, uh, <laughs> you know, DC mogul model yeah, of, yeah. you know, like the Fantasy Factory, like starting a number of businesses out at once. Like he was a, he was a punk rock skater. Yeah. And everyone was like, nah, this man's a clown. He'll never do anything. And then he went and to we all, like, and then he started like music and then... Like, well, then he started, like, the Fantasy Factory and Ridiculousness and then yeah. brought on, like, Drama and Young and Reckless started his own brand. And, like, he yeah. created this, like, little microcosm. Yeah, where and it's, like, through, MTV, like, own, like, if you yeah, like, if you look at, like, Ken the... Block. Well, I saw something, like, Ken the other... Block is, like, the brainchild. Well, I saw something... Ken Block, uh, you had yeah. this whole culmination that brought Travis Pastrana... And Kem Block. Well, and like, so like for all of that. So for instance, like if you go and look at like MTV's broadcast, like schedule, like the time slots and everything, ninety percent of this I know because someone put it out on Twitter is all ridiculousness, and I like laughing at that. Like there's moments when it's movies and the original stuff, but then like the weekends, like most of it's all ridiculousness, which I'm like, okay, awesome because I love this show. Um, Which was ultimately, though, just a, a rebuild of Tosh.0. I feel like it was a more like, I feel like it was an MTV-styled version of America's Funniest Home Videos. I think I think it, they took Tosh.0, America's Funniest Home Videos, how do we create the, the culmination My, of the um, two? The thing I always loved is that little thing at the beginning of every Ridiculous episode where they're like, like video submissions are not accepted or will not be opened and then you find all these videos and I'm just like I'm like they have to be paying some like entry level guy money to to just comb Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and TikTok for these clips and I'm like you are you know I'm like if that was me like getting like a job at MTV I'm like I just got a job at MTV great oh what do you do I sift through the internet looking for <laughs> <Through clips>. content. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no. It's a dream what, job for us. So, guys. like, for me, what I did was, you know, I always wanted to start my own business outside of esports, or, or at least hybrid. So after twenty, you know, twenty eighteen, when, well, okay, so I started Spark originally as a consulting agency, so that was kind of a business in its own right. Uh, but in 2018, you know, that's where I branched away from consulting due to the, the issues I talked about. And I looked at what can, you know, as someone who thinks differently, who looks at the world differently, who wants to be as creatively, like, just all out there, like, what can I do? I decided I was going to make a parent, I was going to turn Spark into a parent and in incubator company, right? So I went into it with my org my personal production studio, and basically, I think I went into there also with one other, you know, like a friend of mine's team at the time, um, which, you know, was like the cornerstone behind it, right? Very like, you know, we have the teams, and then we have businesses that can work with those teams and other teams in the industry, um, which is still somewhat the focus of Spark in, in a sense. But now if you look at Spark, you know, in the last like two years, 
you know, we've significantly grown bigger, you know, adding eight different companies to that mix, right, across, you know, not just Awaken and, and Exania, but then creating Legacy as a tournament operator. Then we have Creators Page as a talent management agency. Level 21 is a marketing brand. Then we have AEVA, which is also known as Grave, which is a merch and streetwear brand. Then we have um, we have Annex, which does a lot of software and technology and UI design, um, and then also licensing out designs that we get off the internet and stuff, where we pay for the commercial licenses and stuff. Um, there's Replay, which is a streaming service that we're making similar to Netflix. There's Pixel, which is to help with endorsements inside of esports and outside and building the collegiate gaming system. Or, 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 uh, semi, or amateur to pro pipeline, because that was something I always wanted to do. Um, but, like, for me, there's not just one thing that I want to do. And that's also why, like, I'm sure, like, you know, you see my, my Twitter bio half the time and you're like, how does this kid have time to do nine different things? Like, you know, there's surely some time where there's something lacking. What's fun, and, and the other reason why I'm able to grow so much with Spark without facing any consequences compared to a regular business, no ownership, or no ownership besides me, no board of directors, no advisory, no investors, no venture capitalists telling me, hey, you know, this this isn't a good idea, blah, 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 or hey, don't do this. It's like, whatever I want to do within the confines of the Spark umbrella, within, you know, this and that, I can do it. And that's what's so fulfilling. Um, you know, for instance, like, the streaming platform that I just mentioned, right, where we're hosting content, making our own original stuff, guess how much it cost me to launch the entire project? I couldn't honestly guess. Made the logo. Made the, the dream right there. Man. Made the logo myself. Made the show stuff myself. The rigs I personally use on my own, so it comes out of my own personal money. But I can also use it as a business deductible, in that sense. Um, but then at the same time, like, you know, I don't have to buy a fancy camera. I use this. I do all the script writing, storytelling, uploading, everything. The domain cost me, I mean, well, everything's done under Spark subdomains besides Awaken stuff because that's how things are. But, like, the, you know, the domain for uh, for Spark, where, where the streaming service is hosted through as a subdomain, I mean, you know, the subdomain cost me nothing. The WordPress theme cost me nothing. It cost me nothing to host anything like back in the old days where you had to pay per file size or pay per minute for views and stuff, you know, before YouTube existed. It literally is nothing. And I can make all this money I want from the streaming stuff without a care in the world. Like, we're... Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's but, really ultimately the model of... And, and, uh, of Returnability and creating the sustainability, um, and ultimately, man, this has been a <laughs> conversation. yeah, I, yeah. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, um, I've really appreciated the opportunity to speak with you and uh, for us to to, yeah. to back and forth and, and go yeah. through these processes. I know, I, yeah, I mean, it's like been it, a great it, podcast, and I definitely look forward to coming back again. Yeah, um, and, and this is. 
you definitely got a great thing going here. And like I said, I, I really look forward to, to doing this again yeah. soon. And I'm sure we can go through a wide range of topics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, I think, again, you know, before we started this podcast, you know, that's what I was telling you about. It's really free-flowing. You get to kind of, like, be organic and really get, like, the best. Whereas, like, you know, podcasts where people are like, well, make a list of topics and or questions and then we'll cover them. I'm like, that to me is, like, that that doesn't vibe right. You know, because, it's like, I know what I'm going to end up saying, most likely, as I go into it. And then I'm like, I don't know. Whereas, like, if I go into this being like, okay, there's no questions, no idea, the unlimited expectations for how it could go. Like my first speaking thing I ever did back in community, or when I dropped out of community college and did it in, uh, I dropped out of community college in, in 2019, but I went and did my first speaking event in 2020. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I definitely had more arms in there because of thoughts of, of different things in esports than I probably should, even after taking journalism and oral communications in high school. And now I've done like five or six speaking engagements across physical and online, which is fun. Uh, but again, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on to the podcast and, and everything. Um, for all those listening to the podcast um, you know, or watching the podcast, if you want to plug where your social media are, um, you know, the floor is yours. Uh, so myself personally, um, it is Maxos OP, M-A-C-S-A-U-C-E-O-P on all platforms. My organization is Aphelion Esports. Um, outside of Twitter, A-P-H-E-L-I-O-N-E-S-P-O-R-T-S. On Twitter, it's A-P-H Esports. Uh, we're definitely looking to make huge waves throughout this year. Uh, a lot yeah. of stuff coming. I actually got a couple other podcast appearances coming up. I'm sure I'll be back here again <laughs> uh, working on a lot of stuff. I'm sure that uh, myself and Taze will be speaking again in the background and on the foreground and yeah. every realm in between. Like I said, Taze, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Really enjoy speaking on these topics and always enjoy collaborating and sharing ideas with others. Yeah. Um, anybody who wishes to reach out, speak with me, um, or looks to, to see what we're doing, you know, myself and where to follow the organization. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once again, Taze, appreciate the opportunity yeah. and appreciate this conversation. It was a great time. Really enjoyed it. And I really look forward to the next time we can do this again. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for everyone listening to the podcast or watching it, uh, if you want to follow the podcast, Twitter, Instagram, Ambition PDCST. Uh, make sure to leave a rating if you're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts. You forever have left the chat. Um, so, you know. But uh, also here on YouTube, make sure to leave a like. Comment down below, you know, what you guys thought about this. Maybe questions uh, that you want me to ask, you know, Mac off the podcast. Um, and then as well, you know, subscribe and, and everything. Because obviously, uh, you know, the support you guys give on the podcast is is always awesome as can be um but with that being said guys my name is tristan the host of the podcast and we'll see all of you in the next episode